Here we go. My name is Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number, drum roll please. Uh, I wrote it down, 577. I love the number seven. I know you do. That makes me happy. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember a motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. What's your favorite number? Uh, I don't know. Purple. <laughs> I love purple. That's not a number. I know, but if it was, that would be my favorite number. Uh, okay, that makes no sense. Uh, I don't think I have a favorite number. Seven's everybody's is seven. Really? S- except your dad. Your dad's was two. Right. Three is a good number. It's got a lot of like mythological, religious things. Skyler's is four. Why is hers four? That's weird. I don't know. She just said it was four recently. What about five? Does anybody have five as their favorite number? Well, there's five of us in our family. I know, but you just don't hear five as being a favorite number. Sure. Well, I guess I don't know. Or even six for that matter. Or what about poor little uh, eight? I would say probably has some because it's the infinity sign. Infinity, right. Right. Um, Like five, six and eight. Five and six are like, I don't know. Six is a rough one because I used to kind of equate six with like six, six, six. Yeah, the devil. Yeah. Satan? <laughs> um, I, I don't have a favorite number. If I do, I'll work on it. That'll be my homework and I'll come back with next week. My favorite number is seven, but my other favorite number is 11. Uh, yeah, 11 is another obvious choice. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, so before we get, in, uh, so we're going to give everybody a quiz. Yes. On today's show. Test. And then we're going to say why we gave you this quiz. Uh, but first, I just have a personal um, thing I want to share. There's a young man. His name is Charlie Rogers. He's, uh, he's a friend. And the reason we know Charlie is because his parents are dear friends of ours. Yes. And Charlie led a workshop uh, last Wednesday for Men Living. And it was about the science of breathing. And it was outstanding. Mm-hmm. And as a result of facilitating the workshop, he received $150 in compensation. And Kevin happens to be our treasurer. I said, did you pay your kid? And Kevin's his dad. Kevin's his dad. Pay your kid? He's like, well, actually, all of it's getting donated to this thing he's doing. And he told me about this thing he's doing. He and his, Charlie and his brother, Ben, are walking for 24 hours just around where we live to raise money for the Fistula Foundation. Mm-hmm. I had to ask you what the Fistula Foundation was. Mm-hmm. Can you quickly encapsulate what Sure. It's a surgery that's given to women if they have, um, uh, it's usually given to girls who have babies really early, um, you know, like 10, 11, 12, and then they um, have tearing that causes them to not be able to have like um, normal urination, like Mm -hmm. where basically they are... It, I'll say it in the most blunt way, that there's leakage yeah. for the rest of their life unless they get this surgery. Um, and so it's life-changing mm. because, you know, leakage is not just a challenge for the the individual, but it's a challenge to be around a person. And these women get shunned. They get shunned. If they do not Correct. get the surgery. So I don't know how Charlie and Ben and their two friends, there's two friends, and there's just... What I like about what they're doing 
is there's not a lot of hoopla around it. Mm-hmm. There's a video on Facebook that Carolyn posted of them just leaving their house this morning. Nobody was around. It was dark. It was dark. And they're going to walk for 24 hours. So we as a family are donating two, because Carolyn thinks they're going to walk about 50 or 60 miles. Okay. It's a lot of miles. Mm-hmm. So I said, we'll do two bucks a mile, mm-hmm. you know, 120 bucks, something mm-hmm. like that. My invitation to our listeners is if you want to just spontaneously give to a cause uh, that is uh, important, especially third world countries. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different emergencies out there. I don't know. I feel like this is as, as good as any of them. If you want to jump in and, and give 50 cents a mile or something like that and spend 25 or 50 bucks, click on the link in these show notes and fill out the form. And then you'll you'll give however many miles they walk times, you know, 50 cents or a buck. So mm. I, I just I just... I'm inspired by this young man and his peers and, and, you know, this generation gets, I don't know, unfairly treated, unfairly categorized, unfairly labeled that all they do is game and, and it's simply not true. Well, and do you feel like they still do? I feel like the election I don't know. Changed. I don't know if they, yeah, I think it's turning. It's turning because I think we used to write young people off and, you know, we used to assume that they weren't inspired or they didn't have like a, you know, a focus of their own. And I feel like after this election and just everything in the last couple of years, I feel like things are changing where we see them as being inspiring to us Mm -hmm. as Gen Xers and boomers and such and millennials. So, um, you know, it's just an invitation. Yeah. So do we want to do this in parenting moment or do we want to start with a quiz and then we'll talk about the moment on the other side? Uh, it's up to you. Let's start with the quiz. All right. I think that's more uh, fun. And then we'll... Are you saying <laughs> that the quiz is more fun than my Zen Parenting Moment? Your Zen Parenting Moment, by the way, the one I chose, sweetie, is called Moving Forward. Well, why don't we... You don't have to read it. Okay. We can just talk about it really quick and right. say that... What was it about again? Um, well, your quote was from uh, Paulo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist. Oh, yeah, about and not going backwards. When you can't go back, you mm-hmm. have to worry only about the best way of moving yeah. forward. So basically... Which what... is kind of cool since Charlie's about to walk for 24 hours moving forward. So go ahead. That's right. That is that is cool. It ties in. Um, every Tuesday and Thursday, I send out an email. It's called Zen Parenting Moment. It's I the my tagline that I use is that your inbox needs more hopeful and helpful moments. If you find that your inbox is filled with things you have to do or with bad news from newspapers or from CNN or from wherever you're getting emails, um, subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment because I love writing them and I love sharing them and I love the some some of you send me feedback which I really appreciate but I feel like it kind of wakes you up um, with some good news for a change. Um, so all you have to do is go to zenparentingradio.com and that you'll see right at the top it says subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment and it comes every Tuesday. Tuesday and Thursday morning. You don't have to do anything. It's free. Nothing else. It's just, it's just what it is. Mm. No strings attached, as they would say. No, there you go. Okay, so Sweetie sent me a text this morning. Sweetie, and I'm going to ask uh, the first one. Should we do all three questions, or just the first let's one? Let's start with the first one and let's see what you say. Let's okay. give ourselves the test. Okay, so everybody, listen up. Here is the hypothetical situation. Your boss makes a change that upsets you. You are most likely to. A, ignore your frustration and anger. It'll go away eventually, and you have other stuff to deal with. So that's A. B is think long and hard about what you'd like to say to your boss, rehearsing the I'll say and he'll say lines over and over in your head. 
or C, spend some time thinking about why the change upsets you, make a plan to talk this through with your boss, and then get back to work. So boss says something that upsets you, you can either ignore it, or you can think long and hard about it, or you can spend some time thinking about why the change upsets you and make a plan. Which one are you? You know which one I was. I think you're A. I was A. What were you? Well, I would say... On a, on a, on a normal day. There's some days where I might do C. Yeah, I or, was going to say, I would say that I would lean definitely at this stage of my life towards C, but there have been times that I've been B. Yeah, and I think I've been A, B, and C, but my default, like my center of mm. gravity is A. Okay, okay, what's the next one? The next one is your three-year-old leaves his toys on the floor. You come home from a tough day at work, trip, I'm sorry, I didn't read that well. You come home from a tough day at work, trip over them, and yell at him. Afterwards, you're most likely to, A, brush away your frustration, telling yourself, it's fine, I just had a long day, or B, chastise yourself all evening for yelling at your son, wonder why you always respond this way, and conclude you are the world's worst parent, or finally, C, Sit down with your spouse to discuss your day, realizing your reaction to your son came from your frustration with your boss. Give your son a hug and an apology and put him to bed. So let me first say, letter C is like the most conscious way of dealing with this. Well, you're giving away the At answers. least in this one. Uh-huh. I mean, it's that's a no-brainer. But It's funny because we all, and, and again, this is very true for any kind of quiz. You can see yourself in all three of yes, them. Yes, Because sure. there's been times when I've been like, okay, Kathy, don't be hard on yourself. You had a rough day. There's also been times when I've been like, God, why can't I figure this out? And then I would say that my, my practice is C, mm-hmm. which is, okay, what just happened? So it's not about that, it, like you said, what do we tend to go toward? Yeah. So the last one is quick. The last question. You're going through a painful romantic breakup. You, A, go out drinking with friends to distract yourself. You might even meet some new people that will help you numb the pain. B, sit at home alone wondering what you could have done differently. Why are you so bad at relationships? Or C, feel upset for a while, write about the experience or talk to your friends and learn from it. Now, I will say... Uh, this is kind of hard for me because you and I have been married for almost 20 years, so I don't really remember what it's like to have a romantic breakup, but I can tell you what I did when I was in my 20s and this happened. Okay. I did A, I went out drinking and I numbed myself. You I might nu- meet some people while you're numbing the pain. I numbed the pain, but I also did a little bit of B, and I also remember doing a little bit of C where I would connect with friends because I was feeling so crappy. So right now you would do? Right now I would do C. Me too. On a, on a, on a good day. On a bad day, I might numb myself out a little bit. So you're taking this test, everybody, because if you like took the test and actually wrote down which ones that you were, you might see some um, pattern. pattern going on. And if you answered A, then you are what's called a bottler. A bottler, okay. Or would we say bottler? No, bottler. Is that how like a British person would say? A bottler. Bottler. Ballet. Not Bale. <laughs> you guys seen Billy Elliot, which uh. is one of my top favorite movies of all time. And then his dad always says that. But not Bale. <laughs> um, you do a good, you do that well. It always makes me laugh. I know, but it doesn't trans. If you ask me to say a different sentence in an English accent, I wouldn't be able to do it. It's just because I can they only sit. do that one, right? Um, or I can do Shane Donovan from Days of Our Lives, where he talks to Kimberly, and he goes, "You bloody whore, Kimberly!" Right. Those are your only two. Yeah, that's all I got. And you pull them out, and I do Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh, wow. where he says, "I won't do it. They are innocent children out there. All they need is food, for God's sakes." 
But once again, what movie is that? That's from? from Running Man. Okay. Once again, if you ask me to say any other sentence with a Schwarzenegger accent, nothing. You can't translate no. that into another. I will do it. Yeah, that's. I don't know. I don't know if that's Schwarzenegger. Um, it's pretty good. I that's think that's Schwarzenegger. Well, I I know. Oh yeah, but it I'm is. trying to. It's good. Trust me. Oh, okay. Okay. So so what is a bot- bottler? Do you want to know? Well, yeah. Should I try to give my very layman's? Well, I have the description. Yeah, right give here. us the real thing. Bottlers push away negative feelings. They may be trying to avoid the discomfort of the feelings, or they may think it's a sign of weakness to acknowledge these negative feelings. They may also feel that expressing their feelings will alienate others. I think everybody can relate to that. See, that's interesting because we're already going to go down a rabbit hole because I think what you just described is the social conditioning that I received growing up as a boy or a man. Absolutely. Do you have the same social conditioning as I do in that regard of the definition of the bottler? Um, there are, there are times in my life when I have been this way. Um, and it was more when I was young and I felt like I didn't want to be a disruption or a disturbance to anybody, um, in my family because I was very sensitive and had lots of feelings. And also sometimes with girlfriends, I didn't want it, you know, again, historically speaking, I didn't want anyone to think they had hurt me or gotten me or t- gotten the best of me or in relationships that were negative. Again, this is earlier in life. So I have definitely had this experience of feeling like my feelings were somehow a sign of weakness that I needed to be. And I, I mean, this is not like there are people I talk to all the time, like clients and people on Team Zen who definitely do this still sure. all the time. And I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just saying this is common. Yeah. This is not like some, you know, people, there are so many levels of awareness here. Like, do you know, can you identify your negative states? Do you know why you're having them? Do you believe it's okay to have them? Do you... um do you believe that you can move in and out of a negative state or do you believe that once I'm angry, I'm angry for life? Mm-hmm. Like there's so many layers of the onion that have to be peeled away to be able to acknowledge a feeling that we call negative. So I feel we're going to take a deeper dive into the butler, but I also want to <laughs> explain what if you answered letter B. Okay, so, and that is called... A brooder. A brooder. And what is a brooder, sweetie? Brooder is getting stuck in negative feelings and not letting them go. So it's like reliving failures, hurts, and inadequacies over and over again. It's like a vicious cycle where you you just do the same routine over and over again of how did I do that? Why did I do that? Why am I bad? And you it, you can't let it go. Yes. Um, and how did you answer, my darling? Uh, what do you mean, how did I answer? Questions one, two, and three. Well, again, I think that now, mm-hmm. because of what I do for a living and my own practice, I'm, a, I'm C, yeah. where I can kind of live between these places. But I have definitely... You have a history of... Of being a brooder. Yeah. Like, and a brooder, like, that's the kind of thing where you beat yourself up. So, again... Because I work with women, women tend to, again, generally speaking, take their negative feelings and and pull them inside. Yeah. So they like, instead of directing them out, which men sometimes, again, 
generally speaking, tend to take their anger or their frustration or their own disappointment and project it outside yep. through yelling or violence or through, you know, numbing, yep. whatever. Women tend to turn it internally. And so that's where depression a lot of the time it comes from in this vicious cycle of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So, and again, men do that too. It's just, this is, you know, we tend to see it break down that way. Yeah. And I, I want to read this because you sent this to me because you're, this is from the book. Yeah. So again, we talked about emotional agility last week. We talked about Susan David's book and we basically gave an overview just kind of giving you new language of that emotional agility is very similar to self-regulation, emotional intelligence. We're just giving you more language and more research to understand what we always talk about on the show. Mm -hmm. Today, I wanted to dive into something very specific, which is what we do with our negative feelings. So this is what you sent to me. When you brood, which is if you answered letter B to uh, these three questions or any of these three questions, your emotions don't gain strength by being pressurized in a bottle, but they do gain strength with brooders. Emotions become more powerful in the same way a hurricane. And then I don't know what the next sentence is, but I can just imagine like it brews, like a hurricane just kind of swirls and picks up strength and then eventually just has this destructive force around it. Whereas the bottlers um, you know, it's just encapsulated. I think of like, you know, men in my life, I won't say who, uh, they keep it all in and then they burst. They absolutely. They just go. Yeah. It's like they, they're holding the top on mm -hmm. for so long. Like they try and put a bottle cap on top of that bottle and then eventually it blows or like a champagne bottle Exactly. and it just blows. So it's like if the emotions had the opportunity to kind of come out naturally, mm -hmm. you're never going to have that explosion. And that's the thing that I think is, this is a good conversation about bottlers. <laughs> I'm going to struggle with that word. Just say bottlers. Bottlers. Um, I'm, what's interesting about it is what I think someone who is a bottler doesn't trust is that if they have a feeling in the moment and they're accepting or understanding of it, it will not get out of control. Mm -hmm. Meaning what gets out of control is when you push it down and you put a cap on it and you bottle it, then eventually it will explode. But the ability to just say I'm angry or I feel angry or I need to have a good cry or I need to really write or talk or whatever it may be, it will go through. It will pass through. But we don't trust that. No. And I feel like if there's, you know, if there's any foundational thing that you and I have talked about on this podcast for 570 podcasts, it would be simply to feel your feelings. Now, what's weird about that is sometimes people weaponize that. Well, I was just feeling my anger and I got angry against my kid for spilling the milk or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. But can you feel your feelings, comma, in a healthy way? Or, you know, it's not just feeling your feelings, but how do you feel those feelings? Yeah. And, and do you, you know, and again, this really baseline understanding that we try and hammer home is, do you know that it's okay to feel those feelings? Like, do you understand like really what the book Emotional Agility is about is life is not about feeling happy. It's about being agile between all your emotional states and understanding that they all have a reason and all have an impact. In this, in this book, I love all the research in it because it gives information where you're like, you know, thank you for saying that, which is, for example, people who, at, who feel their, their stress or they understand their anger or they look at their anxiety actually are deeper thinkers. They're more contemplative or contemplative, however you want to say it. They are more compassionate. They are more empathetic towards others. Like your ability 
to understand your emotional states and respect them gives you like a deeper understanding of your children and your partner. And so a lot of times people who are like, oh, you know, like old school you Mm -hmm. who was a bottler, who's like, I'm just not going to get negative. I just don't go there. I don't get negative. I don't get mad. I, I don't feel that way. I don't get anxious. I don't get depressed. There, you're like skimming the top of life. Yeah. There's like an ice skating on top of everything that's below. And it first of all, it's not true mm-hmm. because all human beings experience the range of emotions. And then number two, you're missing everything else. You're missing people. You're missing connection. You're missing empathy. You're missing um, Joy. relationship. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like you can't have the good without the bad. You can't have right. the bad without the good. And right. it's all. And our problem is as a society or parents, whenever our kids are... Talk about our kids for a second. You know, <clears throat> they say they say something angry towards you or themselves or their schoolmates, and we don't. We think that this is a problem. Yeah. Whereas if they're joyful, it's no problem. And what I want to do is just kind of normalize. And we've said this in presentations forever, and it's not something earth shattering. All emotions are not only okay but imperative that you feel them. And they're there no matter what. No matter what, you whether you like any, it or not. Right. So this is not like, it's okay to feel emotions. It's you have emotions. Will you recognize them? So it's, you don't get to choose. No. Yeah. And the part, there's always been a part of me is I just want to have the good ones. I know. Who doesn't? You're no, I mean, so do I. But what I. The, but you also know the long game. I do. And the richness of my life has come from acknowledging my own pain, like going into my own darkness, which again, even just the word darkness, we think, ooh, bad, scary place. But darkness can be a very, um, how do, what's the words I want to use? Because it can be painful to look in there, but that's where all the information is. That's exactly, I, I'm glad you said that because that reminded me because whenever we have this reactivity, and when I, I when I say reactivity, I mean unconscious response. Mm-hmm. These are gifts. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Unconscious responses that we all have on a daily or a weekly basis are gifts for us because it invites us to explore something on a deeper level. Now, what most of us do, or I'll speak, I'll use I statements. What I usually do is I go get on my laptop, and instead of feel that emotion, I'll go crank out some emails. You get, you get productive. I get productive. Some guys use porn, some guys use booze, some, and you know, and women have their own versions of that. And we all use all that stuff. Um, and now some of us use that stuff in an unhealthy way, but there's this escapism because we just don't like to feel it. And I'm slowly getting better at it, but my God, it's a long journey for me. Do you know what I just read? Like literally right before I walked down here, it was an article that Nicholas Kristoff wrote about this girl who um, has been fighting this battle because she's she's on Pornhub. Okay. And she it was not done by her. It was mm. a video up, you know, uploaded to Pornhub of her that obviously she didn't want there. And in the article, Nicholas Kristoff said there are more people who look at Pornhub during the day than Netflix, Amazon, or Twitter. Oh, yeah. I, I I, mean, I know that porn is like all out there and that it's easy to access and a lot of people look at it. But you guys think about that. More people look at porn during the day than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter. What that does, it just puts it all into perspective. Yeah. Like it helps us understand to what degree this is a problem. Yeah, and that that's an escape because sex or 
any kind of titillation or any kind of experience of having your brain focused on something else, mm -hmm. you know, sex and violence are really easy distractions for our brain. Um, you're just escaping into another dimension and it not only messes with you in the moment, but it messes with your actual sex life. Yeah. If you happen to, Oh, have there's so many ripples to the, the toxicity that happens as a result of porn. Right. Misogyny. Oh, it's just, right. I mean, we could, Demeaning. we could do 10 podcasts about it. Right. I, mean, I know. And I didn't mean to get sidetracked. So, so my, so my invitation is that we, as parents of these younger people, like, you know, ask ourselves, how do we deal with it when our children are sad or mad or afraid? And then you really, the question we're at, we have to ask is how are we doing when we observe this? Cause most of the time, I want to go fix it because mm -hmm. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel sad that my kid is sad. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'd rather fix it. So how good are we at communicating the idea to our kids that not only is it okay that to feel these dark, you know, it's weird because you're right. Dark has like a negative connotation. And Todd's putting air quotes because it's like, but remember, I mean, the best way to understand dark is that that's where you came from, that you mm. were in a dark ball of water yeah. and you grew in that darkness and became who you are in darkness and uh you know a caterpillar goes into a dark cocoon and comes out a butterfly like darkness is not inherently bad it's just what butts up against light yeah. you need one for the other yeah. and you need light for dark you can't and again darkness does tend to be the you know the darth vader of everything right. but it doesn't always have to be perceived that way when we are having an experience that is painful yeah i mean it, it's it's kind of one of those um conversations where you really, this is the definition of Zen, right? The paradoxical conversation where we're trying to tell everybody that darkness isn't bad when our whole lives we've been told darkness is bad and we've been told to be afraid of the dark and we have been told that, you know, that negative feelings are what you don't want to feel. So we're trying to like literally like talk about neuroplasticity. We're trying to like change your brain. We're trying to reframe, reframe your it. perception of these emotions. Right. Right, and not look at it through the lens of this is good, this is bad, but that it's all important. And, you know, I'll give an example. I'm going to give an example that's old and one that was from this morning, okay? okay? So my old example, in because it's just a memory that Todd and I discuss quite often, or we used to at least, is that when my kids were really little, my two youngest, um, I had three, you know, I have three daughters, and one was still a baby, but my other two were in preschool, okay? So they were like four and two or something. And I remember one day, um, they woke up and they were sick or they just didn't feel good, and we had a routine of taking them to preschool and then, you know, the teachers were expecting them and just like everybody else. And I had like almost a breakdown about the fact that my daughter would not be going to school that day. And I felt so uncomfortable and so anxious and so uptight. And the reason I'm using this story is because it's hard for me to relate to that person anymore, right. even though it was me. And what I was able to figure out, like I remember sitting in our kitchen, literally at the kitchen table crying. Like, oh my God, my daughter's not going to go to school today. And the darkness for me in that moment that I, it was that moment, but I researched it over time in myself was that for me, not for my girls, for me, school had held this power of you have to be there. 
for many reasons. Number one, because I felt that I wanted to be a good student and that I felt pressure on myself. My parents were both teachers and they couldn't stay home with me and staying home was a hassle for everybody. Yeah. Okay. So when I was sick, um, you know, and I'm sure if my parents were here in this room, they would say, no, it was no big deal, but it felt like a hassle that I screwed up everybody's day. And then you, you got behind and, you know, there's all these things. And I was still carrying the energy of if you miss school, this is a problem. And I was all worked up about it. And, and again, hear me, my daughter was four and the other was two. So it, I could, if we don't research that darkness, if we don't go into that and say, what is this? What am I afraid of here? Which necessitated me writing, morning pages, talking about it, being honest about it, then it like there's like this sense of, oh, this isn't about them and this is old and it was never true to begin with. This morning. So now here I am 49 and my girls are now 17, 16, and 13. And this morning, my oldest, my 17-year-old, has a headache. And I'm supposed to go do something today and I wake up and feel like I can't do that thing because my daughter has a headache and I'm very anxious about it and I'm uncomfortable about it. And I'm like, okay, now I have to figure out a new plan and I have to stop, which I did and start writing and be like, okay, what is this? Because my daughter's 17 and what makes me think that I have to like change all my plans because she doesn't feel well. A lot of that is about what I perceive a mother to be. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is about not trusting that anybody else can do what Mm -hmm. I do. A lot of that is concern about if she needs me, my value system is I want to be available to my kids when they need me. That's And, and that's good. That indicates my value system. But it also kind of doesn't make sense in this scenario. But our emotions are our emotions. And if I don't dive into them and figure it out rather than like what you were just saying is we want to do. We want to do something. And so doing something might be I'm not going to look at my emotions, but I am going to you know, not do this thing I'm going to do and, and sit by her side all day. And, and I'm almost that in itself is a numbing behavior because I'm not really researching the way I feel. I'm just taking action. And sometimes action ends up looking like road rage. It ends up looking like being rude to people on Twitter. It ends up being calling a teacher and yelling at them. We're, we're taking action, but we're not even being clear about why we're feeling this way. Yeah. So <clears throat> in both of those examples... You went to a fear-based state. When our daughters were four, you got afraid because it meant all these things if they missed school. And, you know, in present day, you went to this fear-based state because you're like, well, if she has another headache tonight and And I'm I'm not, not you know, you tell all these stories about what all those things mean. But so, so when I say like all these, so these two examples are gifts for you to take a look at it. But here's the thing that I kind of maybe want to toss around a little bit. Um, when the stimulus, when the response to the stimulus is bigger than, than the stimulus itself. So kids don't go to preschool. And from an objective point of view, that's really not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Daughter has a headache. Mm-hmm. Objective point of view, not that big of a deal, even if it's a migraine, which I don't understand how bad migraines are. So I want to empathize with all the migraine uh, survivors, for lack of a better term. Yes. Um, but your response uh, was much larger. My question is, because part of me wants to say, well, just figure out when your response is really much bigger than it should be. But 
it's hard to discern that. Yeah. You, it, it, so how did you or how do we as people, because those are the invitations when we have this kind of really huge response to something that is a little bit smaller than the response that resulted, how do we figure that out if we're lost in our emotion? Well, I think the key is to emotional agility and to self-regulation and to emotional intelligence is just not getting lost in emotion. There's a difference between feeling an emotion and getting lost in an emotion. And it doesn't matter if something's happening in the moment that's new that's making you angry or you're angry because of a past experience you had that reminds you of this time. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, if somebody was right now like, it's funny because this did happen, like ding dong ditching us, like just ringing the doorbell over and over and over and over again. That would really annoy me. It probably wouldn't make me angry, but it would annoy me. But I wouldn't be like, oh, that reminds me of the time when I was six, when, mm -hmm. you know, I don't have any like stories, stories about it, but it still makes me annoyed in yeah. the moment. But I can still be responsive rather than reactive. Instead of opening the door and yelling at everybody, I can say, okay, take mm -hmm. a breath maybe walk out and say, hey, everybody, you know, like have yeah. a kinder response. And, it, but it's the same thing, like, it, so it doesn't matter. I feel like taking the time with emotions, like acknowledging them. And it's not like you have to do a big research project on every single one of them. You just need to kind of breathe into it and have a place where you can respond to it rather than react. And then we know when we, again, I this is where I trust people, which you know when something feels more out of control. Like when something feels like where you talk about um, bottling and brooding. Like when I'm brooding on something for days, I'm like, okay, what is this? Why am I beating myself up about this? But something that happened last week, I didn't. So it has an energy of old. Mm -hmm. It has a feeling of fear. I always uh, say to my therapist, I'll come in and tell her like I'm I'm kind of prop processing over something and it feels like terror, which is my indicator that it's from childhood Yeah, because everything from childhood that was scary felt like terror. Yeah. And even though the thing happening in the moment isesn't terrifying, I'm connecting it somehow to, it's like a feeling from childhood. So um, I want to pick it back up where we're leaving off. I do need to talk about our partner of the week, sure. which is care.com. So care.com, they are the world, world's largest online destination for finding and managing family care. Care.com helps millions of families find high quality care for their children, aging loved ones, home and pets. Uh, they provide uh, senior care options, 24 hour care, errands, transportation, medical aid, companionship. Um, so many caregivers right near my home when I put in my kip zip code. Care.com provides me with tools to access background check options, read reviews, and see qualifications and certifications when searching for a potential caregiver. We have a premium membership, and you should get one too. To save 30%, go to care.com premium membership or visit care.com slash zen or simply use a promo, promo code zen. So thank you for care.com for supporting our podcast. So you just talked about, so you have people in your life mm -hmm. that can help you. Mm -hmm. You talked about your therapist, mm -hmm. you have me, you have friends. Mm -hmm. So I have my notebook. You have your notebook. I know that's not a person, but, right, but it helps me. Because that's the thing, like, because when fear takes over, mm -hmm. if it's driving the bus, you're not going to be able to do that mm -hmm. work. So you need to have some type of space. And for you, it's your notebook, your therapist mm -hmm. talking to me. So it's... Um, 
So we need these outlets to、mm-hmm. be able to look inward. You know, I always talk about men's work. What's men's work? It's nothing. It's human beings doing their work. What's the work? To look at all these times when we're activated and we're unconscious and we're saying things that we don't regret or we're behaving ways in a way we don't. These are all invitations for us to take a good hard look and see is this current、mm-hmm. or is this from 30 years ago?、Mm-hmm. And it just takes. And is it mine or is it somebody else's? Right. Is this something I need to respond to or am I feeling righteous? Is this something about my sense of belonging and worthiness or is this something I really need to take action on?、Mm-hmm. See, these are all decisions like the amount of time we spend during the day on productivity, like doing the laundry, doing our work, sending the email, calling the doctor. We feel really good about that.、Mm-hmm. But we should feel. If we could switch it around and be like, I'm going to spend a significant part of the day thinking about, or I don't even like that word thinking, being with、yeah. how I'm feeling and kind of like processing through that, that's going to make you a healthier human being in、yeah. the long run. Our, our desire to push through and to keep doing something to stay busy. I was just listening to this podcast about.、Uh, John Kennedy, the young John Kennedy, John F. Kennedy. John John? John John. And the guy, it, you know, they were kind of talking, some of his friends were talking about him, and they were saying that the dude could not sit still.、Mm. And that he would say, I am so uncomfortable with the amount of pressure that is on me from my family. I don't know if he could say it, you know, articulate. Like he somehow conveyed to his friends that I feel constant pressure. I feel constant discomfort going out and seeing people. Imagine the paparazzi that follow John.、Mm-hmm. Um, I feel so uncomfortable with the way I feel all the time. I have to move all the time. And while that's John Kennedy and we, it makes sense, how many of us do that? Where we're like, I need to go here and I need to do this and I need to have a plan and I need to drive somebody and I need to, and we can't sit still. And what is keeping you from sitting still are your feelings. Yeah. And our, our aversion to them. Correct. Yeah. And I feel like we've been talking lately about how, you, how to feel feelings in your body because up until like five years ago, I'd be like, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm afraid. Like, well, that's a thought. Like, I have thoughts of fear or I'm sad. I have thoughts of sadness. And what we've been talking about over the last month or two is just about how these feelings actually reside inside your body.、Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if you want to speak to that at well, all. Well, and they can be both. Like, I think the thing is, is of course we have fearful thoughts, but a lot of us are like floating heads where we feel really disconnected from our body. We don't feel the fear that resides in our body, meaning. When I feel afraid, there are actual things I, I can stay stuck in my thinking and be like, okay, I'm in the, the, the loop of fear right now. But if I tap into my body, there are signals in my body, like, for example, my stomach churns or my heart hurts. Um, or my jaw clenches,、mm-hmm. or my legs feel numb, or my hands tingle. And a lot of times we don't even notice those feelings. Because we're so in the loop of thinking. So it's not one or the other, it's both. Well, and it's funny, I was on with a client last week,、uh, a new client. I coach guys, and he was saying, he's like, I want to get more in touch with my feelings, but I don't know how.、Mm-hmm. Which one is, I believe that he believes that he doesn't know how. And I would say, you knew how when you were two years old,、mm-hmm. and you have since forgotten. But it is not something, and I struggle with the same thing. But it's funny how even I'm like, well, I just can't. I just don't know how to feel my fears or feel my sadness or feel my anger when 
we knew all we knew how to do this. It's part of who we are when we showed up as two year old little boys and girls. We didn't know we didn't have to figure out how to express fear and anger and sadness. Well, think about it this way. You a lot of people look for things outside of themselves. Like I want to become more self-aware and they look out into the world versus looking inside of themselves. You already have the capacity. It's the practice. So the the analogy that I can give is say that you like yesterday my my 16-year-old is learning how to drive. She'll be getting her license soon. And we were driving to Oakbrook, which is this town right outside of Elmhurst. And I said, there's like five different ways to get there, okay? But I'm going to give you the straightest path, which is go straight down York Road and take a right, Mm -hmm. right? You know? And so that's her path now. And she was like, oh, good. This Mm -hmm. is easy. This path. Go right, you know, go straight down here and take a right. Go straight down here and take a right. And over time, that becomes ingrained in her brain as the right way to get to Oakbrook. Now, I can say to her later, oh, there's many ways. But she'll be like, no, 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 I got my path. I got my path. This is what I do. But because it takes energy to to use a new path, mm-hmm. even if it's a path that's always been there and that is completely as accessible as the other one or maybe a better, a quicker, a healthier path, um, less turmoil. But she – it's easier because it's ingrained in her brain how to get there. Well, and and to bring this back to what we're talking about, I think that's a really wonderful example. And when I think like, oh, uh, I can't really access the sadness, there's probably something that happened to me when I was younger that <clears throat> I wanted to express the sadness, but something disrupted that ability. Mm-hmm. So I figured out how to cope differently. And maybe I distracted myself or something like that. So that, so then all of a sudden I started a new pattern and I reinforce that over and over and over again. So that is the, the benefit of kind of journaling or talking to a therapist or talking to a coach is like, how did, how did this pattern get put on a different path? And what's most important about that example is when you were, let's pretend you were seven and something happened where you were sad and you realized that being sad in that moment would either hurt your parents or would make you unsafe. Mm -hmm. So you said, I'm going to do something different. That was the good thing to do. Exactly. You did the right thing in the moment. And that's why that if you we want to call that darkness, mm-hmm. it's important to go into it because you don't need to be self-shaming about it. It's a good thing your seven-year-old because did Because I was trying to survive. Correct. <clears throat> you were trying to stay safe and survive and get through and move forward. So that new path was helpful. Now as a 48-year-old man, you got to go in there and go, oh, I understand why I switched that pattern. I needed to do that to stay safe. But that doesn't work anymore. Right. So you don't need to be self-shaming. A lot of us are like, wow, I have the most horrible coping tools. I'm such a, you know, again, this is the brooding, right? Oh, my coping tools are so bad. I'm so reactive. I'm so this, I'm so that. Give yourself a break. There is a reason why you did what you did Mm -hmm. to stay safe. I'm sorry to bring up something so heavy, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I was listening to a uh, New York Times podcast about the Boy Scouts of America. I don't know if you guys know, but the Boy Scouts of America are going through bankruptcy mm. because I did not know that. They um there were some allegations of molestation within the Boy Scouts of America and they were like, "Okay, we're probably going to have to go bankrupt, but anybody who wants to, you know, make a claim, do it right now." 92,000 claims came in oh of molestation. Okay? That's more than the Catholic Church. Yeah. 
the story, the person who told the story, and we can link to this podcast, is this man now, grown man with children. But he tells the story of how the first time this happened to him with a Boy Scout leader, he completely in the moment disassociated. Mm -hmm. And this is what people do in yeah. trauma. He left his body. So he could get through that moment, and it continued for years. And so every time that would happen, he would leave his body, and because it's so much pain and trauma that his brain is smart enough to to like separate from itself. Yeah. Okay, that is a coping tool that was helpful for him to survive. Now, that's not happening to him anymore. He's getting treatment, but in his life, when something feels scary or traumatic, he still disassociates. Yeah. And he can beat himself up for that, or he can be gentle with that part of himself that tried to keep him safe and understand it and say, okay, that pathway is what I had to do when when these scary and horrible things were happening to me. But when I'm having a conversation with my wife, I don't have to dissociate. I am safe enough to show up. So the only way, and maybe not, so for me, the only way to process that is through introspection. Correct. And it is really, what was I going to say? It's like really, that's heavy lifting. And that's why we get so lost. And that's why we keep doing these same things that are not helping us because it requires us to process something that was originally painful and therapy or coaching or talking to a friend. If you're talking, if you're doing it authentically from a deep heart-centered place is really hard. The it, only way out is through. Yeah. And this is the thing is people are like, well, yeah, that's too hard though. Like I have clients who still come to me and say, you know, give me the language or tell me how to get through this or, you know, it, what's a different way to look at this or how can I feel about this? And I can give reframing. Yeah. Like I can do that. Um, and I can support you in seeing this in another way where it's more bearable. Yeah. But the truth is you have to acknowledge it. You have to feel it. And you guys, I'm saying this not just as a therapist. I'm saying this as somebody who has had to do that so many times. And I know how painful grief is. And I know how scary depression is. And I know how anxiety feels. Hell, I just went through a kind of attack this morning. So I'm, I'm not doing this as an outside person pointing at you. I know the fear. But... It gets easier, meaning the more you do it, that becomes a, a neural pathway in your brain too, where I don't, you know, and Todd hears me say this all the time, I don't have the option to not do that anymore. Yeah. Meaning my body and brain take me to feel this, deal with it, dump it, you know, talk about it. Like that's my natural reaction. That's why when we were doing the test, you know, I am C now, mm -hmm. but C came through practice. Yeah. You know, we're talking about the brooding, bottling. I am a C now, but it wasn't always that way. Well, what I want to speak to is when people, and even myself, saying it's just, it's too difficult. Like, you know, one thing is like, I don't like journaling. I'm not a fan of journaling. I know for a fact that if I journaled, there would be some gold that came as a result of it. Maybe I'm not supposed to journal. I don't know. But when I hear myself and others say, well, it's just too difficult, I would say, you know what's difficult? is continuing to live at this in this reactive, unconscious place that mm -hmm. I reside more of the time than I really need to. Like, but we don't think about that as difficult. We're just going through our day miserable half the time. Well, human beings take comfort in certainty mm -hmm. and they take comfort in what they've already experienced, in commonality, in regularity. 
And so you're used to the pain and discomfort you already have. Yeah, we're, we're used to it. You're used to it. So you're like, I can handle this. It, the women I talk to who are in marriages that they are, are they're not really sustainable, but yeah. they're sustaining them because they know what to expect every day. Even if they're unhappy or uncomfortable, they're like, but I know what this looks like. Well, what I just wrote down is new pain versus old pain. Correct. I know what this old pain looks like. Mm -hmm. I know how to deal with this old pain. Right. I don't want to go through the, my childhood or I don't right. want to have this difficult conversation with this person because I don't know what that's like. So to your point, the certainty thing is like, I, and I know how to cope with this old pain too. I go to Netflix or yeah. I go to my computer or I I've go to- I've done this. Yeah. You know, it's like I did the heavy lifting on this uncertainty already, meaning now I can sit with this and I can, you know, and the thing is, is, is Todd, what I always go back to though, and I know you do too, is everybody evolves at different times. Mm -hmm. Meaning even as a therapist, I don't say, no, you have to do this now. You must go through this. You must look at this. It's like- People know, and again, I was going to read um, the, I think you pronounce it Anis Nin quote, which is, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful mm. than the risk it took to blossom, which is really important to remember because we will, will, will remain in that bottle, will remain tight until that becomes more painful than the actual looking at what we have to look at. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, and that's, sometimes we need to have a few explosions or, you know, when we talk about addiction, like people who, like, what do we say now? Um, what's the word? Not fall off the wagon. And there's a better word for it, who relapse. Yeah. It's so common. And and yet there's so much like, I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking to your sister about this, like the relapse is so common with addiction. And yet there's so, there's almost a lot of shame built around it because you know how people like Dax Shepard, like he had 13 years or whatever of sobriety. And then he was taking painkillers and it kind of got away from him. And so he had to start over and now he's on like day 25 or, yeah. or day 50. And so there's almost like a shame built in like, Okay, now I got to start over. I understand the process. I'm not questioning AA, sure. but just that in itself. Um, like Miley Cyrus just said that she, uh, you know, during the pandemic or a couple months ago, she relapsed, yeah. and that. And I'm not saying it's common, and we should just say no big deal. But sometimes it takes a few of those experiences to get our brain or our body or our, you know decide that this time it's going to be different. Yeah. And I say that with a sense of self-compassion because for those of us who think, and I'm saying self-compassion, I'm saying it about myself because for those of us who think we're going to learn something and then never make that mistake again, or that we're going to feel angry and never yell again, or that this is, life is a practice. This goes on forever. Yeah. And the hope is, and the ex expectation is we get better at it. S Sweetie, let me read something from your Zen parenting moment. Okay. Some claim to experience an instant shift, often referred to as a Satori moment. Is that how you say it? Uh -huh, Satori. When something heard or written alters everything moving forward. But Satori is rare and the vast majority of change necessitates paying attention to our behavior and then developing new habits. Yeah. So, you know, I go on to say that if you have realized that you were raised with self-defeating thoughts, then that's a great realization, that self-awareness. I was raised with self-defeating thoughts. I had someone telling me that I was a nobody or that I didn't matter or that I was lazy. 
that's a great awareness, but the awareness alone is not going to change anything. Mm -hmm. You have to then have a new practice, which is mindfulness yeah. and, and self-compassion. And if you realize that you yell at your kids because you were yelled at, that's a great awareness, but that's not where you stop. You have to then figure out alternatives to yelling yeah. because you don't just get to walk through the world and go, oh, well, I yell at you because I was yelled at. Yeah, you have to have a new practice. That's halfway. And then similar to what I was just saying about the man who disassociated, if we realize we shut down or we run away because we're afraid, which is a really brave thing to recognize, mm -hmm. we need to practice feeling fear and showing up anyway. Yeah. Like we have to, it, it, the self-awareness is step one. And it's the biggest awareness. Like this show really is self-awareness, yeah. right? But then after that, step two is the practice of your self-awareness. Yeah. And bottlers and brooders being aware of, and again, even though you fall, you may be one or the other, depending on the day, having an awareness of what you're doing allows you to do something else. So just to close the loop on the quiz that we gave to you at the top of the show... If you answered letter A and all three or two of the three, then you're a bottler. Mm -hmm. And if you answered letter B, you're a brooder. And if you answered letter C, you are somebody who practices consciousness. Emotional agility. Emotional agility, mm -hmm. right? That's what she's saying. Mm -hmm. yeah. She's saying that you can have a negative feeling or a scary moment or anxiety or um, anger and understand it and move through it. Yeah. And that it's not about, life is not about saying, oh, I don't have those feelings. It's how you manage them. And, you know, again, I feel like I've said this a lot in the last month, but self-regulation doesn't mean you don't feel negative feelings. Mm -hmm. Self-regulation means you feel them and you have some outlets or some awareness of them and allow them to release without putting the cap on. Yep. Because... That's what I want you guys to trust. I have a girlfriend who always tells me she's so worried about feeling anger because she's afraid it will never end. That's not true. Mm. Now, you may need support and help in releasing a lot of old anger. I'm not saying that there isn't some pent-up anger that may take some time. Like one of my, you know, the depression that I often refer to that I went through when I was 40, there was a lot in there. Mm -hmm. There, It wasn't just a one moment thing. It was like a lot of old stuff. And yeah. I felt it come out through my body and it took time. And so I'm not saying that you'll get over anger immediately. But what I'm saying is I now have an awareness of what needed to be felt. Yeah. And that that process, and not everybody needs to go through a depression. That no. that was not. This is. I'm not. Well, that's when life starts whispering to you. And I don't know. Maybe you heard the whispers and you ignored them, or maybe that just showed up one day when you're 40 years old. And everybody's path is right. different. Right. Um, but one thing I think you would agree with is when you hear the whispers, listen to them mm -hmm. in whatever form they take, mm -hmm. as opposed to wait for the world to, you know. Well, what, what are yours? When you say whispers, what does that mean to you? Oh, I don't even know. It's like, it, for me, the whispers are whenever I get reactive. Like those are the whispers. Deal with it in the moment as opposed to push it aside and ignoring it and numbing it out. Because mm -hmm. if I continue to ignore it long enough... I judge that the problems are going to build up and then the universe is going to whack me on the side of the head and say, oh, well, if you don't want to listen to this, how about you listen to that? What's your motivation when you hear something or you feel like what motivates you? You mean to do the work? Yeah, why? Why do you do this? Like, I think there's going to be some people who be like, why if... 
if Netflix and and my drinks at night for me it's it's uh like, superficiality it's emptiness I want to feel alive that's what my motivation is and I love Netflix but if that is what where I go every time I'm about to feel an emotion then it's just an empty feeling. It doesn't mean that your life's going to end. You just might, you know, be in your deathbed when you're 95 years old thinking, wow, this was kind of a superficial, um, shallow experience. Yeah, well, and, and that's, I mean, my motivation has always been, and this is my hope for my clients and anybody listening, is that you know who you are, that you trust who you are, and that you belong. Because that inherent sense of belonging is what propels you to everything else, to take a risk, to support someone, to love someone, to get into a relationship, to have children. If you trust who you are and you're not perfect and you never will be and you'll have every emotion under the sun, you are human. But if you have that sense of belonging, it propels everything else. And my other motivation is the relationship I want to have with the people I love is that a quote that I put on one of my Zen parenting moments from last week was from one of my favorite movies, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And I don't have it in front of me, but basically it says that I want, if someone loves me or cares about me, I want them to love me for who I am and not who they think I am. Mm -hmm. And I want, when, when my girls are with me, I want them to know all the good things I do, but also who I am, which is a flawed human being with challenges just like them. Right. And with Todd, I don't want to have to put look a certain way and play a certain role and to act like a martyr and to be all these things so he loves me. I want to just be myself and then find love in that place. And that doesn't mean I dump on him. Again, I, I, I'm always really careful because this doesn't mean that that I'm very aware of that to be in relationship, you have to hold your own, mm. meaning you have to take care of yourself and you have to show up as the most healthy and responsible person you can. But I also have challenges and I don't want to hide those from Todd. I want to be able to say to him, my challenges are coming up mm -hmm. and he's not like, Ugh, I can't handle this. Like there is a sense of I'm on it personally, but I also can show you. Yeah the dark, that that I'm not afraid of what you'll think about me. Sure. I feel the same way with the people who listen to this show. A goal that Todd and, I, Todd and I are coming up on our 10 year anniversary here. And I think a goal that we've had from the beginning, but it's gotten more clear in the last five years, is we want to make sure that the people you're listening to on this podcast, that if you run into us on the street, we're no different. Yeah. And I don't mean we're always talking about self-awareness because sometimes we're just talking about Parks and Rec and things that aren't that big of a deal in life. Sweetie. Parks and Rec's it a big is, deal. but you know, my point is, is that we don't want to be anything different than what you see, or who I am with my mom, or who I am with my best friends, or who I am with my neighbor. Like, I, this is just who we are. And if we were different, then we would have to put on a show yeah. when we, and that I can't tolerate because that's that's pressure and anxiety. Yeah, that like, we don't need to have. That I, and why would we? But that that believe that. That goes back to what I said about belonging. If we don't feel like we belong and we have to play a role or look a certain way or put on lipstick, I don't like lipstick. Not a fan. I have girlfriends. I don't blame you. Well, I have girlfriends who are like, you have to put on lipstick when you go out. Like, that's one of my favorite stories is when you and I were getting married. Remember that time? Remember that day? April 6, 2002. <laughs> and I was about to walk down the aisle and a few of my girlfriends like, you have to put on lipstick. I'm like, I don't wear lipstick. And I know sometimes I put on lip gloss and I have worn lipstick for pictures and stuff. But 
that that's a it's a metaphor. It's not like I'm not lipstick is just like an analogy. For you, it's just not your thing. It's not who I so am. So why would I put it on if it's not my thing? Correct. And that doesn't make sense to me. And I think a lot of people are like, I have to put on high heels because that's what women do. And it's like, or I have to do, you know, I have to be a tough guy because that's what men do. You know, like it's like questioning that because if you just show up, then life is easier. Well, and I think what you're saying is um, we don't want to outsource our need for approval or control or security from anybody outside of us. If we farm that from inside and just be who we are, but most of us, most of the time, are trying to get it from something somewhere outside of us. And, you know, just if, if, if what Todd and I are saying on this podcast during the last 10 minutes is meaningful to you, I go get Brene Brown's book called uh, Braving the Wilderness because it's all about what a sense of belonging really means. Because the truth is, sometimes people won't like what you say or do. Yeah. And can you be okay with that? And can you be okay with that? Not okay with it like that you're like, yay, and not where you're like, well, screw them. It's not that. You don't have to be mad at that. You can just be like, but this is who I am, so this is what I have. Mm -hmm. And those people who I'm not serving their needs, they will find other people. Well, and it might be a little like, you know, we hear this all the time, like whenever anybody judges you, they're just judging, judging themselves and they can't look inward so they have to project their judgments outward or what you have to offer is not what they need mm -hmm. like there's you know for people who are divorced or single or dating and you meet someone and you're like this is going to be great but they can't show up it, it may not they can't be there for what you are and that doesn't mean what you are isn't enough it means that that's not the right fit and in this, and that's true with friendships. Sometimes they change and they alter, and we're not supposed to be everything to everybody. Drop the mic. Well, can I give one recommendation? Because I really enjoyed it. Um, on Hulu, I think it's on Hulu. There is a Christmas show because we are in December right now called The Happiest Season, and it has Kristen Stewart and Dan Levy and um, Aubrey Plaza. And um, Mary Steenburgen, a bunch of people I love, Victor Garber, and it's so great. And it's it's about belonging because it's about a um, a gay couple, two women, and it's kind of an old kind of trope where they go home for Christmas and one you know one of the women isn't out to her family yet, mm -hmm. and then you know hijinks ensue, you yeah. know that kind of thing. But I feel like it was I really loved it. Like I really I fell in love with everybody, and I. Even watched the trailer this morning because even though I've already seen it, because I just loved everybody. And it, but it's about that sense of inherent belonging and why some of us feel there's kind of there's some touching moments where, you know, obviously this is specifically about sexuality, but it it's about all of us can relate, mm. you know. So that's my recommendation. Hulu recommendations from Kathy Adams. Yeah, well, and you know how we're always trying to find a new good Christmas movie. We have our movies. Yeah, we watch. We watch Rudolph and Frosty and Charlie Brown and Elf and Christmas Vacation and a Brady Bunch Christmas. Yes. Can't forget that one. Because Peter wears the nightgown. If anybody ever drags <laughs> themselves to watch the Brady Bunch Christmas, check out what Peter wears going to bed. It's great. It's like, worth the 90 minutes it right is, there. And here we are talking about belonging and we're ripping him for wearing a, a nightgown. It's not about the man nightgown thing. It's about that it feels so out of place. Yeah. Like it's like, and nobody comments on it. And it's so, and there is also a, um, I mean, he can do that. If that's what makes him feel 
like himself, then I'm all for it. We also need to give ourselves some space to laugh. I know. And then there's just some moments in that Brady Bunch Christmas. Did I miss any Christmas shows that we can Um, offer? uh, There's a bunch, but I need to to close the show up. I know, but I wanted you to offer one. What's your Mm -hmm. favorite Christmas movie? Uh, Star Wars. (laughs) Okay. Um, so if anybody's looking for more support, exclusive content, and an awesome community of parents, join Team Zen where you'll get zero pressure, 100% support. We did Zen Talk number 107 last week, and the highlights were we did a Q&A or a discussion about self-harm, rude teenagers, and self-compassion. And next week, we have a special guest, Rosalind Wiseman, on December 15th. She's going to be answering your questions. Just got to go to... Uh, ZenParentingRadio.com and join the team. And you can join for free for one month, right? Put in the coupon code FRIEND, free. Talk to Rosalind for free and then cancel your membership a month later if you want. (laughs) Whatevs. Uh, And if you're a guy and you want to connect with other guys authentically so that you can become the best father, husband, son that you can be, join Men Living. It's an organization that I co-created. We offer Wednesday virtual meetings And then we do specific gatherings. So for men that are going through divorce or separation, we do um, twice a week meditations, exercise classes, men in recovery, veterans, music lovers. We do monthly workshops. we got a bunch of stuff. So if you're interested, then go to menliving.org or shoot me an email and I'll explain more about it. How do they get your newsletter again? Uh, Just go to menliving.org and click on contact us or join mailing list. I love your newsletter. And I know most of what you write about doesn't really apply to me, but I just really like your newsletter. Yeah. We welcome females to join the newsletter too. And, um, you know, I think we might expand our programming to invite, because the women can join our meditation. Like Mike, my buddy Mike, his girlfriend comes in every, they meditate together. Well, and I also, as I kind of pushed you guys a couple weeks ago when we had Frank and Sean on, um, you know, hopefully you guys are going to be doing things in relation to equality and women and equity soon. Yeah. Um, if if that just be a workshop or having women that you meet with or talk with or just a book club or a movie that you watch, like when you guys do that, I, I want to either be there to do that with you or support you or whatever. It's, it's, it's in the planning stages. Cool. Um, and then don't forget, I coach guys. Any guys out there, first session's free. Go to toddadamscoaching.com. And um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to share. Anything, sweetie? Uh, no, just that, um, just I want to say as we're closing that I know that this time, talk about a dark season, um, even though we have all the lights outside and it's a holiday season and there's a lot to be grateful for and joyful for, I know this is a tough time yeah. still. We're still going through it. A lot of people still on lockdown, um, us, you know, unsure about our holiday plans, uncertainty, COVID, it's tough. And um just want to let you guys know that we're right there with you and that we love you and care about you and you're not alone and and we'll get through it the the light at the end of the tunnel that you and i have been talking about for i don't know a year four years it's coming it's coming um and we'll we'll make it we'll make it and then i forgot to mention our partner jeremy craft avid company painting and remodeling throughout the chicagoland area 630-956-1800 give jeremy a call he's a bald-headed beauty avidco.net see you guys next week Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. The best part of what we do is getting to spend time with our listeners in an awesome community of parents who have come together over at Team Zen. 
TeamZen is a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents, and you'll even get exclusive content from Kathy and me. Find out more about TeamZen on our site, zenparentingradio.com. We know your inbox needs more hopeful and helpful info, so sign up for the Zen Parenting Moment. Two times a week, you'll receive a quick read that will boost your day and improve your outlook. Sign up at zenparentingradio.com. While men and women, moms and dads, parents and non-parents are all welcome here at ZPR, we know most of our followers are female and moms. So today we're shouting out an opportunity that's just for the guys. Men Living creates opportunities for men to gather together to give and get support and build friendship. I am one of the founders of the group and you'll find me every week helping facilitate our virtual meeting on Wednesday nights at 7.30. Interested or want to share the details with someone you love? You can find the Zoom link at menliving.org. Ready for a Gen X view of personal growth? Join us for Pop Culturing, our podcast filled with humor, fun, and a characteristic emphasis on self-awareness as we explore movies, TV, and pop culture. And don't forget, I coach guys. So if you're interested, head on over to toddadamscoaching.com and schedule a one-on-one session. First session is free. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.